Welcome. You have entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simron. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Empower yourself. Broaden your mind. Open your heart and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simron. Welcome and happy winter solstice. It is a beautiful day to open to all that is new, to really look over the last year and reflect on all of the things that you have experienced, what you're grateful for, what uh, different things that you might have gone through that just need to be felt into a little bit deeper. And in that, looking forward. Figuring out what you want for 2022, it is upon us. It is coming fast and furiously, and it is the perfect time to redesign your mind. It's the perfect time to sink into a whole new landscape of living and an experience of yourself that is beyond what you have previously thought before. But to get there, Eric Maisel will tell you that there's a room that your mind isn't some optional accessory to life. It is where and how human consciousness is experienced. It is all important, and it's yours to create and design. It's really exciting to picture transforming that room into exactly the kind of place where you want to live. When you redesign your mind, you increase your creativity, heal from past trauma, and achieve emotional well-being. You really change. And when you change internally, you change externally. Eric Maisel is the author of more than 50 books, including Why Smart People Hurt, Fearless Creating, Mastering Creative Anxiety, and The Van Gogh Blues. Widely regarded as America's foremost creativity coach, he's a former psychotherapist, active creativity coach, and critical psychology advocate. Dr. Maisel uh, writes the Rethinking Mental Health blog for Psychology Today, lectures nationally and internationally, and provides keynotes for organizations like the International Society for Ethical Psychology and Psychiatry and the American Mental Health Counselors Association. So I'm excited to have this conversation because it's time to redesign your mind. The Breakthrough Program for Real Cognitive Change is the name of his new book, and that's exactly what we're about to dive into Welcome, Eric, back to 1111 Talk Radio. I've had you on before with some of your other books, and I always love all of the insight that you bring. And so it is a delight to have you here, especially on this day. It seems so apropos. Thank you, Simran. It's great to be back with you. Hope you're having a good, warm day. Well, you know, I think that um, wherever we are, we can, based on your book, create the kind of day, the life, the mind the room that we want to really, really experience. And so I want to talk a little bit about that because you speak to a lot of creatives, a lot of artists in terms of um, really helping them tap into deeper creativity. And oftentimes that's because it is those types that tend to uh, have the mood swings, the up and down, to feel their emotions very intensely, to uh, many times be the introverts of the world. And so... I think a lot of your work really is geared toward them, although it is beneficial to everyone. Let's start off a little bit about talking in regard to introverts and extroverts and how this particular book might impact each one. Well, from my point of view, the starting place is always a basic paradigm shift from the idea of there being a purpose to life, a singular purpose, 
to what I think is the truer idea of there being multiple life purposes that we choose. If we're not grounded in our own life purposes, if we haven't, so to speak, made a list of our life purposes and know what's really important to us, then we have trouble day in and day out maintaining meaning and making use of our personality, whatever our personality is, whether it's more introverted or extroverted. If your life purposes include doing creative work, then you're going to have to figure out how to stay put in solitude and do that work. So even if you're not naturally an introvert, you're going to have to find that bit of introversion, that way to be an introvert for the sake of your creative life. And if you mean to get your creative work out into the world, then you're going to have to find that extroverted part of you or massage that extroverted part of you so that you can do those marketplace tasks that most creatives don't want to do. So whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, using as an analogy the Taoist idea of yin and yang, the, the Taoist idea is not that you are one or the other, but rather that both are available to you and that you choose in a given moment whether you want to be, so to speak, more yin or more yang. And that's the same for introversion and extroversion, I think. I think we are essentially more one or the other, but we want both available to us so, with, so that we can do the best job possible of living our life purposes. You know, that's really a powerful way to, to reframe that introvert-extrovert quality because we tend to be human beings that really lock ourselves into roles or ideas and perceptions. And when we do that, uh, it creates a certain narrow path that yep. we each end up having to live by because of that. Yep. And, you know, our, our world has changed so much that it has made people have to kind of stay with themselves and be more in a specific um, place or more guarded or, or, or taking care of how they're moving in the world. So as, you, as you've written this particular book, you're talking about redesigning your mind and, and you speak to it from the place of our mind being a room, being a space. And when I think about the mind being a room and what you've just said, all of that seems to, to relate to balance, to, again, that yin-yang metaphor that you gave, that we have to go back and look at where we've gone to the extreme and bring in the other portion. So talk a little bit more about balance and how you see that in relation to the mind and this approach about redesigning the mind. Sure. Uh, to go back to well, what we were just chatting about, most people know about negative thinking they don't know about dualistic thinking that much, and that's what we were just chatting about. That is the way the mind makes categories, which is natural enough, whether it's introversion, extroversion, or a million other kinds of dualistic categories, and then decides that it is one thing or the other, that it can only be the one thing and that it can't be the other. And that dualistic thinking doesn't serve us any more than negative thinking serves us. Let's say you're a fiction writer, and it might perhaps serve you to write some nonfiction, but you've set up this dualistic thing in your head where fiction is interesting and nonfiction is boring or something like that, then you've cut off the possibility of doing some nonfiction that you might enjoy doing. Uh, 
So that's all by way of saying it's important to notice our dualistic thinking just as it's important to notice our negative thinking. Now on to the, the room that is our mind. Um, that's a metaphor, of course. Before you get into that, Eric, I, I want to back up one second and, and tie what you just said to another concept that you brought in at the beginning. You talked about multiple purposes. Yep. And most people really do or have anchored into, and whether that is because of spirituality or self-help or personal growth or the way they were raised, think that we've got this one purpose in life to live and that we have to find that one purpose and that that's the end all be all or that we get into a job and and we have to really make ourselves the best at that job. What do you mean by multiple purposes? Many things are important to us. We have the 2000 year metaphor of purpose being out there somewhere, there being a singular purpose to life that we're supposed to find. And if we don't find it, we're out of luck. But I think it's it's a shop-worn metaphor. I don't think it's actually the way we experience life. I think we experience life as many things being important and things changing with regard to their importance. This period in life, politics may be more important to a person than it was 10 years ago. 10 years ago, maybe we took what was going on around us, politically speaking, for granted. Now it's kind of hard to do that. So uh, so one might be more of an activist today than one, one, that what, than one was X number of years ago. And that's the way life purposes work. Things rise to the top with regard to importance. Parenting might rise to the top on a given day if our child's having trouble. It might recede on another day when we're working on our novel and we have the ability to pay attention to that. So I think it's an important paradigm shift from the idea of a singular purpose to life, somehow decided from out there by someone or something, the idea that we make our life purposes, and until we make those choices, we're actually living without life purposes. We're just getting things done on our perpetual to-do list. If we have the moment to go there, this connects to meaning. I don't know if you want me to go there at this split second but yeah let's let's go to meaning because if we if we are not open to and available to seeing life as a multiplicity of purposes then all of a sudden that seems like that might be the reason people are not feeling fully alive they fall into something that perhaps was practical or might have been the result of how they saw their parents live or the wounds that they experienced. So they go in the opposite extreme. So it then almost pigeonholes them into a certain life experience if they were not really clear as to who they are or had the right mindset. So let's do talk about meaning. Sure. There's a paradigm shift needed there too. Uh, the age-old metaphor has been to find meaning or to be a seeker of meaning. I'm just pausing because everybody thinks that's what they're supposed to be doing, but there's no meaning out there. There's no meaning to find or to seek. Meaning is a certain kind of psychological experience, like lots of other kinds of psychological experiences, from joy to anger to whatever. It's a peculiar, special psychological experience, but that's all it is. It's something that 
the mind conjures up that this thing is experienced as meaningful or it isn't. So there's nothing to search for. That's A. B, we have to make our own meaning. We have to be decisive about what's important to us and then get those important things on our daily to-do lists. That's the way to experience meaning. And really importantly, once you get the idea in your head that meaning is a psychological experience, then naturally it's going to come and go. Just like other experiences come and go, just as anger comes and goes or happiness comes and goes, there's no reason to expect life to feel meaningful all the time, any more than than there's any reason for, for life to feel joyous or sad all the time. These feeling states change. People have got it into their heads that if suddenly life does not feel meaningful, that that's a big deal event. It isn't. It's natural that that feeling comes and goes. We do need strategies for making meaning and restoring meaning when it goes. We need those strategies. But we have to be much less worried about that experience vanishing than we currently are. This is especially true for creatives because let's say you're sitting there working on your novel for 300 consecutive days. On 280 of those days, you may hate your book. It may not feel meaningful at all to be sitting there. And so you may talk yourself out of staying put by saying, wow, this doesn't feel very meaningful. Maybe I ought to be doing X, Y, Z. But there's no reason why it should be feeling meaningful. All you need to say to yourself is, this is one of my life purposes. And if I also get the experience of meaning from living one of my life purposes, that's a blessing. That's an add-on. That's spectacular to also get the experience of meaning from doing something I know I ought to be doing. So I know that's, that's a mouthful, and that's a lot to take in, in in one gulp. But most folks don't understand that meaning comes and goes and that they have to be much easier about meaning not existing in their life at any given moment. That's going to be a concept that some are going to have to really chew on because we so desperately want life to have meaning. We want everything that we do to have a meaning and a purpose. Exactly. And it could, it, it, it's actually freeing because it, it, it takes that line of polarity, which is what life is. It's this huge spectrum of polarities. And it allows us to be the bridge between hopelessness and hope and, and, and all of the experiences that can be created through us on that line of polarity without really having to, to then feel like, oh, here I am on this line of this place of hopelessness. I've got to find something that now gives me hope and makes me feel worthy. It's, it's this beautiful journey, as has always been said. What does that do for people when they first hear that? Because, because that, what, what is the real twist in the mind that has to take place to, to say, you know, what I'm doing doesn't have to have meaning. It just is meaningful to me. People get it instantly and then they forget the next second. <laughs> you know, they, they hear it and they know that it's sensible and true, but then they'll use the seeking meaning language in the next sentence because it's so ingrained in us. And I think also because it's so darned uncomfortable to sit there doing our work when it's not feeling meaningful to be doing it. So it takes a lot of maturity to come around to this idea 
But when you do, you start to make yourself proud by your efforts because you understand that you're that you're doing the work that you intend to do. You've donned the mantle of meaning maker. You're making the meaning in your life or at least trying to coax it into existence because you can't really make it, can't force meaning to exist, but you can try to coax it into existence by making meaning investments, by investing in important things and by seizing meaning opportunities. So there are things we can do to more meaning rather than less meaning in our lives. Human beings find themselves pressured in all sorts of ways, and these pressures are experienced as pressure, as the sort of pressure that brings on migraines. To simply and brilliantly deal with these real and insistent pressures, install a release valve somewhere in your mind room. You might visualize this as releasing the pressure from a pressure cooker, releasing steam from a boiler, or opening a vacuum-sealed can and enjoying that familiar pop. Take a moment and consider how you might want to visualize releasing pressure. Try to get a clear picture in your mind's eye. This is from the book that Dr. Eric Maisel has written, Redesign Your Mind, the Breakthrough Program for Real Cognitive Change. It's filled with contemplations, visualizations, and mind prompts. Eric Maisel facilitates workshops in locations like Paris, London, New York, Dublin, Prague, and Rome. He's provided hundreds of print, radio, and television interviews and has taught tens of thousands of students through his classes, workshops, and webinars. You can find out more about all of the things that he does by going to his website, ericmazel.com. That's E-R-I-C-M-A-I-S-E-L.com. Or you can go to the website link in the bio description. Again, we are talking about his new book, Redesign Your Mind, The Breakthrough Program for Real Cognitive Change. We'll be right back with more of Eric Maisel after these messages. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Do you want more, more joy, more abundance, more power and presence? How would it feel to have more loving relationships, more empowered community, greater fulfillment and life purpose? The 1111 Mastermind Community inspires, empowers, guides and supports transformation. Shift your mind, expand your heart, deepen insights, let go and chart a new course, dream a new dream. The 1111 Mastermind Community is an online portal for personal transformation and soulful expansion. Go to courses.1111mag.com. That's courses.1111mag.com. Change begins with you. 
Let it be simple, convenient, and transformative. The time is now. Step through the 1111 gateway. Courses.1111mag.com. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at imsimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. Welcome back. Before we get back to my wonderful guest, Dr. Eric Mazel, I just wanted to mention how grateful I am that you have followed along this year with all of the radio shows and magnificent guests that I've had in addition to following 1111 Magazine. It is my pleasure to create these different pieces of media so that you can meet individuals and expand your mind and open your heart. I'd love to share that I've got three new books, an entire series coming out in 2022 that I'm really, really excited and proud of, and I can't wait for you to dive into them. The first book uh, is coming out in February, and you can pre-order that now. There is a link in the banner on the show page if you'd like to I click that link at the top of the page. It is called Living, the Seven Blessings of Human Experience. And I'd love for you to dive into it and experience it. So go ahead and pre-order your copy today. And then the follow-up ones that will come out later in 2022. The common problem is a sense of lost purpose and the experience of encroaching meaninglessness that is best counteracted in the following way. You remind yourself that you do not intend to make the mistake of believing that there is a single meaning or purpose to life. Rather, you are going to get behind the idea that there are multiple life purpose choices and you can and must make and that you can do a beautiful job of identifying and embracing another one of your life purpose choices when a current choice happens to feel stale or empty. This is from Eric Mazel's book, Redesign Your Mind, The Breakthrough Program for Real Cognitive Change. It is filled with so many beautiful sections that will help you redesign your mind and also provides you not only with those contemplations, but some additional visualizations and mind prompts so that you can really deepen into creating something new for yourself now and into 2022. Eric Mazel is the author of more than 50 books, and you can go to his website, ericmazel.com, and find out about everything that he does. So, Eric, as we move into this place where we are creating meaningful experiences for ourselves, where we are expanding into multiple purposes for our life, as we are embracing that we have a dual way of perceiving the world and and a dualistic mind, what do we now do with that mind? You talk about a mind room, and we're coming into 2022. It's an opportune time for people to redesign their minds and create something new on the inside so that they can create something new on the outside. So talk a little bit about the mind room, and probably first of all, how do we get rid of all of what you call the stuffiness that's inside of our our heads or some of the cobwebs and the old secrets and fears and things that have held us back in the past. Sure. Let me sort of start at the beginning, which is with the idea of visualization, because that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about visualizing a certain room that is our mind. 
the idea of visualizing started many decades ago at a particular hospital in Northern California where somebody got the idea to invite cancer patients to visualize their healthy cells defeating their cancer cells. So the idea of visualization, as as I'm using it and as many people use it, arose in the health field as a as a kind of treatment or as a as a healing modality, and it was seen to be very powerful. And then it kind of dropped away over the decades as something to try. But this book, Redesign Your Mind, is based on the idea that we can visualize settings. And the setting that I'm asking folks to visualize is the room that is your mind, that is a place where we do our thinking, a place that we visit. And think of it as a place that can be redesigned and redecorated. And one of the first things, to speak to your question, one of the first things we can do is install windows and open them and let a breeze blow through to release some of the everyday stuffiness that we experience in there, because most minds are stuffy feeling. we're, We're repetitive creatures. We think the same thoughts over and over again. The idea here is to change the place where our thoughts arise so that we don't have the same thoughts. Cognitive therapy is based on the idea of dealing with the thoughts that arise. I think this is even a better idea, and that is dealing with the thoughts before they arise and changing the place where they arise so that we think differently. So one thing to do would be to install windows and experience that breeze blowing through. Another super important one is to visualize getting rid of that bed of nails that's in there for many people, the way we self-pester ourselves and criticize ourselves and are our own worst advocates. Get rid of that bed of nails and replace it with an easy chair. If one were to do just those two things, or visualize those two things, a breeze blowing through in an easy chair, I think already life would be experienced differently, and the thoughts that arise would be different thoughts. And let's add a few other things. Let's add, as you walk in the door, let's add a calmness switch, so that when you walk and you flip that switch and you're just a calmer person. And I'm pausing between these ideas just to let folks experience that. What it would be like to, when you enter the room that is your mind, have a cognitive switch there that you could flip. Maybe it both turns on the lights and turns on the calmness. So those are some of the kinds of ideas in the book, different ways of redesigning your mind. There are all kinds of furniture choices to make, all kinds of accoutrements to add. There's also an exit door so that if you start to get into a negative obsessive loop and you keep thinking the same thought over and over, the same worry over and over again, well, there's an exit door so you can leave the room that is your mind for a while and stop pestering yourself with that unproductive obsessive thought. So there are lots of things to try. Another important one for people who are feeling despairing as so many people are, or sad, to just say it simply, for people who are feeling sad, is as you walk into the room that is your mind, or as you enter it, remove that heavy overcoat that you're wearing. 
people are experiencing life as if they were wearing a heavy overcoat. Well, as you enter, just shed it. Let it drop to the floor. If you're a neat person, you can hang it up, but just let it drop to the floor and get that heavy overcoat off of you. So these are some of the kinds of ideas that uh, the book presents, and they're all based on the metaphor. And I'm actually not sure it's a metaphor. I almost think that there's a reality to the idea of a room that is your mind. The mind's been conceptualized in many different kinds of ways over the centuries. Um, Descartes pictured it as a stage where things play out, which is an interesting visualization. So there are lots of ways to conceptualize the mind, but I think conceptualizing it as a room actually feels very close, for me anyway, feels very close to the reality of the matter, that that's the way we experience our mind, as someplace we go and inhabit and visit and leave and, according to the book, according to me, can redesign and redecorate. It's a powerful way to look at the mind and just by by you expressing that and, and giving that space, what really felt like was happening was a new type of focus was coming in in regard to being with the self, being with what's there. And I would imagine, you know, at first glimpse, if people really looked at their own minds, it might appear to be something that's kind of, you know, dim lit, um, kind yep. of dusty, you know, lots of boxes and, mm, and yes. containers that are yes. stacked away. <laughs> yep. And so to be able to refurbish this place and clear all of that stuff out really does create a different sense of even well-being and an outlook to life. But I want to go back to something that you said. Um, you talked about repetition. And, and when we get into loops or when we've lived a certain way a long time, and come from a certain perspective, we seem to repeat the same thoughts, the same words, the same actions all the time that just create the same thing all over again. And you write that we need less repetition, that repetition is a sign of limitation that can prove accidentally dangerous in other ways. Talk a little bit more about how repetition is dangerous for us. And if we're creating this new space, is there a way for repetition then to be a positive or do we need to let repetition go completely? It's a big subject. I did a whole book on this called Brainstorm, which is about unproductive, unproductive and productive obsessions. So there, there, are, there are things we don't want to be doing like unproductively obsessed, but there are things we do want to be doing, which is to really bite into something we're working on our novel, we really want to bite into it, and those are productive obsessions. The word obsession has become a negative word. It got hijacked by the therapy world in the 1890s. Obsession got defined as an unwanted intrusive thought. So as soon as you define obsession that way as unwanted and intrusive, it becomes a negative. But that's just a hijacking of the word, because the word means, means both things. It can be both productive and unproductive. And we want productive obsessions, I think. So to, to answer one part of that question, some repetition is fine and even necessary if we're to, it's like um, practicing scales or if you're a musician, practicing your instrument every day, that kind of repetition, even if it's boring and even if we don't want to get to it, is actually very important for the sake of our artistry. 
So that's A, that they're unproductive obsessions, but also productive obsessions. So we don't want to get rid of every, every bit of repetitiveness. But on a tactical level, there's something very simple to do. And I think a lot of the ideas in the book try to, try to come with a little bit of humor attached because we need that. And on the tactical level, one thing to try is if you keep hearing yourself say the same thing, just change one word. For instance, let's say you're sitting in your easy chair. Hopefully you're off your bed of nails and now you're in your easy chair, but you're still being pestered by yourself, even though you're in your easy chair and you keep hearing yourself say, I have no talent. I have no talent. I have no talent. Change talent to a different word. I have no radishes. Mm. And you've got you've to laugh a little. The, the second you get rid of that word and, and ch- change it to I have no tomatoes, it breaks the spell of that negativity. So I believe in simple tactics like that. To, most people understand the value of such tactics but don't own them. They don't really use them. But I think that tactic in particular, just changing one word, is very powerful. It's a really simple and and um, powerful way to do it, and I love the the way you use the word spell because when we do repeat words to ourselves, when we do uh, consistently hold the negative thoughts, what we are doing are, are casting spells on ourselves, so yeah. to speak, and and they do affect our lives. And you you talk a bit about self unfriendliness. Is is this what you're speaking of too? Is 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 the way that we treat ourselves by not clearing out that type of thing, go a little bit more into the self-unfriendliness. Absolutely. That is one of the, we are rather self-unfriendly creatures and self-sabotaging creatures. I'm not quite sure why nature installed that trickster character into our personalities, but nature did, and all, all indigenous literatures have that trickster character whether it's crow or raven or fox, or it's always characterized as some sneaky little animal, but who's doing really mean things, though. Not, not just mild, mischievous things, but poisoning the village's well, doing that sort of thing, doing really mean things. We do really mean things to ourselves. We have this self-tricksterly character inside of us for whatever reasons. And so we, we, have, we have that job of being our own best friend and advocate and making all sorts of changes inside our mind. It's not just about changing the furniture or adding windows or changing the look of the room, but also changing what I call our indwelling style. That is being a different sort of person in there, whether that's a calmer person or a person who does less catastrophizing or a person who has a better understanding of how to deal with existential sadness around feeling like you don't matter. There are lots of things to do there to make life more friendly, and it's on our shoulders to do that work. When was the last time you had a party in your mind? When was the last time you entered that room that is your mind with a bouquet of balloons, put on some salsa music, and invited all those sad guests slumped there to get up and dance? When, that is, did you have some fun in your mind? 
We need more mind parties. Most days our mind is a workplace day, a gloomy place, a steam kettle, or a piston-driven engine, not a party venue. Wouldn't it be more fun to decorate it, to order a cake, to select a playlist, to gather some games, lots of games, not just another round of solitaire or crossword puzzle, but something lively, tumultuous, and over the top. This is from Eric Maisel's book, Redesign Your Mind, the Breakthrough Program for Real Cognitive Change. Eric is the author of more than 50 books, including Why Smart People Hurt, Fearless Creating, Mastering Creative Anxiety, and The Van Gogh Blues. He is widely recognized as America's foremost creativity coach, is a former psychotherapist, activity creativity coach, and critical psychology advocate. You can find out more about everything that he does at ericmazel.com. That's ericmazel.com, M-A-I-S-E-L.com. So definitely go check that out. Get a copy of Redesign Your Mind today for yourself and pick up a few extra to give us gifts. You could change another's life by helping them redesign their mind as well. We'll be right back after these messages with Eric Mazel. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. www.1111mag.com 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Do you want more, more joy, more abundance, more power and presence? How would it feel to have more loving relationships, more empowered community, greater fulfillment and life purpose? The 1111 Mastermind Community inspires, empowers, guides and supports transformation. Shift your mind, expand your heart, deepen insights, let go and chart a new course, dream a new dream. The 1111 Mastermind Community is an online portal for personal transformation and soulful expansion. Go to courses.1111mag.com. That's courses.1111mag.com. Change begins with you. Let it be simple, convenient, and transformative. The time is now. Step through the 1111 gateway. Courses.1111mag.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. 
Find out more at imsimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. My guest today is Dr. Eric Maisel, and we are talking about his new book, Redesign Your Mind. When we look at our mind, you know, sometimes it can be horrifying, the thoughts that go through there and the things that we think about ourselves or others. Sometimes we say those things out loud, and oftentimes we're afraid to say the things that are really on our mind, or we're afraid to truly step into our power and be who we're here to be. How do we get past those types of things? What can help us move into a place where we not only are courageous enough and vulnerable enough to speak our minds, but we also are aligned enough to know the one that must need to be speaking at the time. Uh, once again, my guest is Eric Maisel, and we're talking about his book, Redesign Your Mind. And you can find out more about him at ericmaisel.com. Find out all about the events, classes, workshops, webinars, and other books that he has created. So, Eric, let's talk a little bit about how we decipher between all the things that are going on in our mind, the voices going back and forth, and then really finding out what it is that we are here to say. Well, one attempt, one idea is to install a speaker's corner. I mean, the room has corners, so you you can use the corners of your mind room for different purposes. And one brilliant purpose is to install a speaker's corner like the one in Hyde Park in London that for centuries has been the place where you could speak without reprisal. You could tell your truth. You could speak out loud, speak against the government without reprisal. We need that speaker's corner inside of us. Most folks are not comfortable speaking their truth even to themselves. This is especially important for creative folks. Freud said that all creative blockage was self-censorship and that isn't the case. There are other reasons for creative blockage, but that's a big reason, that's self-censorship. So having a place where you can go in that in your mind room and speak your truth is really important. That doesn't mean you're going to speak it out in the world. That's a different question. That's a safety issue question. You may, you may say something to yourself and discover that it's the truth, but not want to share it in the world. That's a separate question. But if you do want to share it in the world, again, on the tactical level, just as we chatted in the last segment about just changing one word in a sentence, on a tactical level, I advise clients that if they want to get stronger in life, to try to use sentences of five five words or less when they have something important to say, rather than the long rambling sentences that people use often in having a conversation with their mate or their boss or someone. And those long sentences usually are part apology. We're doing other things in that sentence rather than just speaking what we need to say. So to get in the habit of using very short declarative sentences, five, six, seven words, is a wonderful habit to acquire. What does that sound like? It sounds like, please stop that. That's powerful because so often individuals don't realize when they go on talking, the other person is going to check out because it's so muddled with so many ideas or not enough clarity. That's that right. It gives, them an ex- it gives them an exit. It gives the other person an exit strategy because there's some place in that long se- sentence that they can glom onto and use that as a way to change the subject. If you say, please stop that, that has to be addressed. 
there's no place for the for the recipient of that sentence to go except to turn around and leave but there's no place in that sentence for the person to find a find a loophole so that speaker's corner that you're talking about it's it's equally powerful in getting clear on uh, what not only what we have to say to others, but, but what we need to say to ourselves. Where yeah. do our emotions and emotional release or getting clarity on our feelings, where does all that come into play with the mind room? Because there's a link between mind heart and mind body. So what about the rest of us? How do we fit that into the mind room? It's important to understand that emotions come and go, and that we can learn to move our emotions out of our being. I'm going to put this in quotes sooner rather than later. So on a tactical level, one of the most important things to do is to not stuff emotions, to feel what you're feeling, but also while you're in your mind room, be saying to yourself, be explaining to yourself that you want the feeling to pass sooner rather than later for the sake of your ability to live your life purposes. Because if we get hooked onto emotions that aren't serving our life purposes, then we can get stuck there. So really what we're talking about here is having the kind of insight where you can take a step to the side of both your thoughts and your emotions Become aware of them, decide the extent to which you find them to be valuable or not useful, and have them pass as quickly as possible. Most people hold on to their emotions, not so much because it feels good, but because they don't have sort of the good habits of allowing those emotions to escape easily. So on the level of habit and on the level of daily practice, it's important to learn how to both accept the emotions, not stuff them, accept them, and then let them pass on through as quickly as possible. There's a statement in The Course in Miracles uh, that goes, my grievances hide the light of the world in me. And I always look at that as our thoughts, our negative thoughts, are the things we hang on to, the, the denser emotions that we cling to that cloud not only who we are but cloud our mind from being who we want to be in the world or shining that light or living out the the purposes that are most meaningful to us and so to be able to go into the mind space with the clarity of both our emotions that we're feeling and the ability to shift those that quickly is a very powerful thing because then we can sit back in that easy chair and just kind of rock while the sun and the wind blows through. Yeah, and if you have, if one has the right sort of, right from my point of view, the right sort of life purpose statement that sort of anchors the various life purposes into a few words, then returning to that life purpose statement can prove really valuable. For me, I have a very simple life purpose statement, which is do the next right thing. And Talk if you, a little more about that, Eric, yeah. about creating a life purpose statement and and how we hang that bar- banner. Kind of yeah, thing. because even though we have multiple life purposes, and I think we do, or we ought to, we ought to believe that we have multiple life purposes, it's still possible to collect some energy around a certain set of words, or even just a mantra, or also an icon. 
I believe in life purpose icons. That is just the way that a cross or a star of David works for religious groups. Most individuals never think of creating their own life purpose icon, some representation that they dream up for themselves. But these are lovely ways of anchoring the idea that we're in charge of our life purposes. And as I say, the life purpose statement that works for me is do the next right thing. And if you're doing, if you're trying to do the next right thing, then you're going to know not to get hooked on an emotion or not to go down some rabbit hole. For instance, of all the books I've done, 50 books or whatever, I've never replied to a piece of criticism in my life. No time for that. I have to move on to what's important in life to do. And what's important is not replying to some piece of criticism. And on a sort of tactical level in, in your mind room, I, I have a cute gimmick there. And that's to have beside you, next to your easy chair on your, on your table, next to your easy chair, have a non-magnifying glass, which is just pane of pure glass, regular glass, so that when you look at things, when you look at life, you're not magnifying their difficulty. You're not magnifying the extent to which you were offended. You're just looking at it realistically. So it's kind of a fun idea to think of having a non-magnifying glass that you use to look at reality without catastrophizing reality. Those are beautiful points, and I invite my listeners to create their own life purpose statement. Mine is actually, I bring beauty to my world. And so when we have that, it, it's an overarching statement that can then apply to the many different life purposes that we have in, in creating our life. Something else that I really loved that you talked about in this book had to do with practices and celebrations. And each year I select an essence word that is my guiding essence word for the year that I make sure I immerse within throughout everything that I do. And uh, two years ago, my word was devotion. And then last year, my word was discipline. And this year, 2022, my word is alignment. And you talk about devotion and discipline in this book, Redesign Your Mind, and how we can create a devotion altar and different practices and things like that that really bring more of that quality to life. I found that really, really beautiful. Yeah, let, let me speak to that a little bit. Uh, Pavarotti, the late Pavarotti, had a line that I always liked, which is people say I'm disciplined, but it's not discipline, it's devotion, and there's a big difference. And there is a big difference. A lot of my artist clients feel that they're not disciplined enough, and that's why they're not getting their work done. But they're often very disciplined in the rest of life. They're doing their day job perfectly and you know, spending their $20 million budget at work or whatever. They're, com they're perfectly disciplined in lots of aspects of life. And it's not discipline that's lacking. It's devotion that's lacking. It's, it's love that's lacking. They're actually not in love with their own creative projects. And that passion, desire, devotion, love needs to be rekindled. It's a flame that goes out. And one of the ways I try to help clients rekindle that flame is to remind, is to invite them to think about when they were five or six or seven and what it felt like to read a book or be in a darkened movie theater, how pure and simple that love was. It was kind of the best parts of life for many kids best parts of life are sitting in a corner reading, I guess today would be Harry Potter or whatever, 
But that experience of reading or that experience of going to a movie or that experience of singing or hearing music, if we return to those childhood memories, that helps remind us of how beautiful, magical, loving, important the arts are and helps us undergird our ability to do our own creative work because part of us is going, who needs another image? Who needs another song? Who needs another story? Who needs another novel? There's so much out there. Who needs another whatever? So we have to counteract that feeling, those feelings of meaninglessness around the creative um, endeavor by reminding ourselves that this is a place of love. This is a place for us to love. And if we can communicate that love to one other person, then we've done a certain kind of beautiful work. Mm, that's wonderful. When I looked at devotion as my word, it was to really sink into life and make all of life the altar to which I came to. And when I chose discipline, what I saw was the word disciple in there. So it helped me deepen into that devotion to life and actually finished my three books that are coming out next year. So yep. I love how when we use words in a certain powerful way, they they really can empower us. And you finish out the book talking about passion. Passion can sometimes uh, be something that lights us up and takes us, uh, gets us off and running into something where we're fully enveloped by it. And at other times, passions can be the thing that um, actually burn us up and we end up fizzling out. And to know the difference, I think, is very, very important. You also talk about that cold bucket of water that needs to be splashed once in a while We've got about two minutes left. I'd love for you to say anything that you'd like in regard to passion or that cold buckle of water that my audience might need right now to open up to 2022. <laughs> well, well, let's let's put the cold bucket of water to the side and just stay with passion. We're a dispassionate culture, but passion is not a given and it's not optional. We have to generate passion. People think sort of like when we're talking about life purpose and meaning and other metaphors that I think need upgrading and updating. I think passion is another one of those where we think that it's somehow out there too, and it, it just sort of happens, that we don't have to help it happen. But I think we definitely do need to help passion happen. If we're not feeling very passionate about our work, we have to do something to rekindle that passion. Let, let's say you're a visual artist, for a lot of visual artists, the simple thing to do to rekindle passion is to open one of those art books that are on your in your bookcase and be with the beautiful paintings of an artist you admire or that more than admire that you revere. And that may rekindle passion. But we need to we need tactics and strategies for rekindling passion because as I say, it's a flame that goes out. It, it's not an eternal flame like the one in Prospect Park near where I grew up in Brooklyn, the, the eternal flame commemorating the Kennedy assassination. Our flame is not an eternal flame. It goes out, and we have to relight it. My guest today is Eric Maisel, and he has written a wonderful book to help you redesign your mind, and that is the title of it, Redesign Your Mind, The Breakthrough Program for Real Cognitive Change. It is the perfect book to get yourself this holiday season and to give others as a gift as you open to 2022. Uh, the visualizations and the writing prompts that he places inside will help you deepen into how you can recreate your mind and redesign it. 
as well as recreate your life. Again, go to ericmazel.com. Thank you, Eric, for being on 1111 Talk Radio. It is a pleasure, as always. Find out more about his 50-plus books by going to his website, ericmazel.com. Until next week, I'm hoping and wishing you a most joyful holiday season. And I am Simran, in love, of love, with love and as love. Be well. Thank you for opening your mind to a new reality, your heart to greater compassion, and your experience of aliveness with 1111 Talk Radio. Join host Simran next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Time to step through the gateway of conscious living here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember, you are not on the journey. You are the journey.